Okay, good morning everybody. Good to be with you. <laughs> good morning. That was rousing. Uh, I'm Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. It's great to be with you. Well, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John 16. We're continuing our series, as I mentioned earlier, on the Holy Spirit. John 16, starting in verse 12, if you stand with me as we read God's Word. These are the words of Jesus. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. For he, uh, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is God's word. Let's pray good. Oh, Father, we, we need your Spirit. In these next few words, would uh, you cause your ancient word to come to life in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives afresh? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, we are in this series called The Unknown God, where we are seeking to get to know the third person of the Trinity. And my sort of conviction in the series has been that we have a sense of who God the Father is through his working in uh, and through the scriptures. And we come to know Jesus the Son as he is made known to us in the Incarnation uh, in the New Testament. But often when we come to think about the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we tend to think of sort of extraordinary gifts. We think of extraordinary signs. Um, and so often teaching on the Holy Spirit ends up talking about what the Holy Spirit can't do or what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. But my conviction is that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the problem is not confusion about, about what the Holy Spirit does. Rather, it's uh, confusion, confusion about who, who the Holy Spirit actually is. Who is this divine person? Who is this mysterious spirit? We see the Holy Spirit arriving uh, at Pentecost. We see Jesus promising to remain with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we see the Holy Spirit come and he's accompanied by, it says, a mighty rushing wind and by uh, miraculous signs um, in Acts chapter 2. And when we see throughout the book of Acts the apostles doing uh, extraordinary works uh, attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit, we maybe look at our lives and wonder where the excitement is. We see, especially in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, a lot of excitement and a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit, and we wonder what to make of all of this, because few of us, I think, would say that we have had experiences of the Holy Spirit that line up with what we often think is the everyday occurrence of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So we wonder who this divine character really is. What is the Holy Spirit like? What does it mean to know Him? What does it uh, look like to relate to the Holy Spirit? What is His character and personality 
what is he really like? And I think, sadly, that absent much serious biblical reflection on who the Holy Spirit is, our impressions about what the Holy Spirit must be like are formed more by Star Wars than they are by the actual Bible. Uh, we think probably of the Holy Spirit as a less exciting version of the Force. Maybe somebody who acts like the Force, but not really when we want him to. Um, and so, we're looking at the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, because it's in the Gospel of John that Jesus begins to introduce us to the Holy Spirit. And whatever we might go on to uh, conclude about the Holy Spirit, surely uh, those who uh, follow Jesus would have to say that whatever we believe about the person of the Holy Spirit must be consistent with what Jesus says about who the Holy Spirit is. And so we're looking at these passages in John, these kind of middle chapters in John especially, where Jesus introduces us to the Holy Spirit. And what we've been saying over the past several weeks is that the Holy Spirit is a person who helps us to know or to see or to experience God. That the Holy Spirit helps us to know and experience God by acting as the one who comes alongside us, the paraclete, who is our advocate, our counselor, our teacher, and our helper. He is the one who convicts us, he prosecutes us, in order to show us our need and drive us to Jesus. And then we come in John 16, to this passage that I read a minute ago, where Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth. And it is in his role as the spirit of truth, as a teacher, that I want us to think about the Holy Spirit as our discipler, as the one who, who disciples us throughout our lives. In the words that I think remind some of us a little bit of Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, Jesus says, you can't bear all that I'm about to, all that I want to tell you. Jesus tells the disciples that they're not yet ready to hear everything that he has to say to them. But rather than yelling at them, you can't handle the truth as if the disciples are uh, refusing to accept reality as it's plainly put before them. Jesus is rather saying that they are not yet prepared to receive or to understand everything that he has to say to them. And in the same way, Jesus is saying to us that we cannot uh, immediately receive and understand all that he has to teach us. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth. I had a friend who once said to me something like, if God would have shown me all of my sin at the moment I had come to believe in him, I would not have been able to bear it. And I don't think he was being overly dramatic. If, if we, at the first moment, we caught a glimpse of our guilt before God, if God then revealed to us, kind of backed up the dump truck and, and unloaded the full picture of the guilt of our sin, uh, we would give up immediately. We would stop seeking uh, to live. And so God, in his grace, uh, designs the Christian life to be a process of growth, 
We often talk about our walk with God, where we journey with Him, and it is as we journey with God, as we grow in grace, that God the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who is called alongside us, comes alongside us to disciple us, to teach us, to lead us into all the truth. So, here's what I want you to hear this morning. As we consider what it means that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, this is what I want you to hear. The Holy Spirit wields the sword of the Word to change us for the sake of the world. The Holy Spirit wields the sword of truth to change us for the sake of the world. And those are essentially the three points that I want to highlight in this passage. The Holy Spirit, first of all, wields the sword of truth. What is this truth? that the Holy Spirit will lead us into. Well, look with me at verse 13. Verse 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, which he does on the day of Pentecost, which we'll be looking at in two weeks, when the, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you in all truth. Now, I know that that's not exactly what it says in the Bible translation that you're looking at. Um, and I know that uh, the past couple of weeks as we've been looking at the Holy Spirit, I keep kind of digging into the Greek, but this is really important. Um, he will guide you in all truth. That may not be exactly what it says, but that in your English translation, but that's what it says in the Greek New Testament. And so let me uh, state sort of the conclusion here, and then I'll back up and explain uh, how we get there. Protestant Christians have understood this to mean that Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will guide the apostles to write the New Testament scriptures. Second uh, Peter 1.21 says that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had just said in John 14 that the Holy Spirit will cause you, the apostles who are there with him, to remember all that he has said to them. They will then go on to write the letters, the Gospels uh, of the New Testament. In other words, the Holy Spirit leads these apostles into the truth. And what he's doing as he leads them into truth is he is enabling them to write the Gospels and the letters and the Apocalypse of John that will be compiled together to form what we now call the New Testament or the Bible. The Holy Spirit leads the apostles into truth by enabling them to write Scripture. And then he leads us into truth by uh, leading us into, it, he, he leads us into the truth by illuminating to us the meaning of the Bible, illuminating to us the teaching of the Bible. Now, if you're looking at those words and saying, how did you get there from those words, let me explain. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth in general. He says that he will lead you into all the truth. The definite article is there in the Greek for the grammar nerds uh, amongst us, even if there are only people in this room right now. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will lead you into, uh, the Holy Spirit will lead you in all the truth. In other words, Jesus is saying that there is this particular body of truth that he is referring to here. The Bible is true, but the Bible doesn't say everything that is true, right? Um, and it's this particular body of truth 
that Jesus is talking about. It, the Bible doesn't teach us anything about, I don't know, things like algebra or nuclear physics or how to repair a leaky faucet. The Bible is silent on many true things, but it does tell us all that we need to know about faith and life and God and how to know Him. The Bible is sufficient, even though it is not exhaustive. And it is this body of truth that is contained in the scriptures, into all the truth that Jesus leads us by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us in truth, in all the truth, by leading us, um, by teaching us through the scriptures. So, furthermore, Jesus says here that the Spirit of truth is guiding us in all truth. I know I've said that wrong several times, but it, it, it literally says in the Greek, uh, the Holy Spirit will lead you in all the truth. The Greek word is en, not ice, which means in, not into. Now, what difference does that mean? Well, if it said the Holy Spirit will lead you into all the truth, you could take that to mean that there are further truths that will be revealed. Rather, that's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit will lead you in all the truth. The truth that is contained in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will lead us in all of that truth. The image that comes to mind is not kind of the building of something new here, but more like the father who is running alongside his daughter or son, holding the back seat of the bike as the child is learning the new skill of balancing. The Holy Spirit is guiding us in all truth. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit guides us in all the truth of the Scriptures. Just as a father or mother guides a child in riding a bike, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, guides us in all the implications of the truth that are bound up in the Bible. He's not promising that the Holy Spirit will reveal new doctrine to us. Uh, he, he should be very suspicious whenever anybody claims to have learned a new truth uh, that has not been revealed to us in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is not promising to reveal new doctrine at some point in the future, nor, I think, should we say that this has anything to do with the idea that the Holy Spirit would give us sort of divine revelation when it comes to questions like, what, should, what career should I choose? Or, who should I marry? Or, who uh, should I buy this house or that house? Or, who is going to win a future election? Rather, this has to do with understanding God himself. The Holy Spirit comes to guide us in all the truth in order to help us understand fully, more fully, who God is himself. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us as our discipler, walking with us throughout our lives, guiding us in and with the word of God so that we might know God as he truly is. Hebrews 4 says it like this, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of, and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Holy Spirit wields the word 
guiding us into all truth. Okay, that's what he is doing. So the question then is, to what end is the Holy Spirit wielding the sword of God's word? What is the ultimate goal toward which he is guiding us? So the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is wielding the sword of God's word to change us. And I want to particularly, in this kind of moment, emphasize that he is wielding the sword of the word to change us, not to change them, he's changing us. The Gospel of John, scholars tell us, was likely written towards the end of the latter half of the first century. And it was a time when Gnosticism, this idea called Gnosticism, was already beginning to make inroads into Christianity in the Roman Empire. And Gnosticism is a word that comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And it's a, it's a, uh, it refers to the view that knowledge, secret knowledge, can be used like a password to open up divine blessing or to free you from, you know, uh, your flesh that restrains you. Um, it's the idea that knowledge can be used to manipulate spiritual reality. That's what Gnosticism is. And so many scholars believe that John is in part pushing back against these distortions of Christianity. John is pushing back against the idea that truth is something that can be peddled or manipulated or used as a weapon. And we too live in a time where truth and knowledge and data are objectified are turned into objects to be used instead of truth that we submit our lives to. As we objectify truth and knowledge and data, they often become used as weapons or to manipulate power or to gain power over other people. We think of truth as basically synonymous with information, something that we can perhaps read in an article and because we've read it in an article, we think that we therefore understand it. Now, any of you who, like my wife and I, are engaged now in helping our children dis do distance learning from home, uh, we have all realized in painful ways over the past eight weeks or so that just because we have read something doesn't mean that we have learned it, <laughs> that we have understood it, that we have uh, a hold um, on that truth. You know, the, um, the, the sort of modern or enlightened view of truth is, is like the X-Files. The truth is out there. It's an objective reality that is there to be discovered. And then postmodernism comes along and says, actually, all truth claims are just power grabs. And so uh, what you should do if somebody makes a truth claim is either reject it as a power grab, or you should learn how to wield the sort of truth uh, for your own purposes. But you know, the uh, biblical understanding of truth is very different. Christianity says that all truth is covenantal. All truth is relational because God himself is the author of truth. And though God doesn't reveal all that is true to us, it is true because God knows it to be true. And Jesus has just said in John 14, let's call that 
10 minutes ago. He has just said in John 14 that he is the truth. What a startling claim. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is saying, I am the truth. In him is all that is true. And that means that the purpose of the Spirit's work in our lives, wielding the sword of God's word, isn't just to get information across. The purpose of truth is to get you to fall in love. The purpose of truth is to get you to see the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, we will, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine. He will take the truth, and He will declare it. He will make it known to you. When the Spirit comes, He will show us the glory of Jesus by leading us in all the truth. We will see the glory or the weightiness of Jesus. When you see Jesus for who he truly is, we will be awestruck as the Spirit of Christ wields the truth, the sword of God's word leading us into all truth. And when you see the glory of Jesus, it will change you. It will change me. When you uh, kind of bump up against the weightiness of who Jesus is, it will change you. In my experience, uh, limited though it is, I have often found that proximity to truth has a polarizing effect on people. Some people, when they bump up against truth, are profoundly humbled by it. Others, when they bump up against truth, uh, you seem to think that it is now a possession of theirs to use as a stick to hit other people with. Polarized options, right? What do you do when you encounter truth? Some of us, when we encounter the truth, uh, we are profoundly humbled by the truth that we've encountered. We are living, friends, aren't we, in a time of deep anxiety. We are living in a time where our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our relatives, even ourselves, are uh, anxious, we are weary, we are frustrated, we are longing for something to change. And in this time, information is being tossed around with this sort of faux certainty. We seem to have lost the difference, uh, the distinction between an opinion and a fact. And lines are being drawn and judgments are being made and sides are being taken, and I just want to suggest that it is a sign of immaturity to read an article because it was written by a friend who has a sister who works in a hospital, and therefore claim that we know what is actually going on. It is a sign of immaturity to equate a hot take or an opinion with something that is true. And perhaps if the one who is the embodiment of truth were to walk into the room where we have just articulated an opinion with absolute certainty, the response might be humility. If we were to bump up against the person 
of Jesus, the one who is the truth, it might engender humility within us. I have a friend, um, I have a friend named Tom. He's actually the father of a, a friend of mine. And um, Tom is one of the most humble and gentle people I know. A couple weeks ago, I sent Tom a thank you note, thanking Tom and his wife for, uh, for supporting the ministry of our church. So I sent Tom what I thought was a long overdue thank you note, and a couple days later, I got back in the mail from Tom a thank you note thanking me for my thank you notes. And in that thank you note, Tom said to me, when Tom expressed that he wanted to thank me for giving him the opportunity to partner with us in the work that God is doing here. Now, I know that Tom has deeply held convictions about politics and I'm sure many other things in life. His deeply held opinions about our world. But I also know that Tom bears the humility of someone who has spent a great deal in the presence of Jesus. And so his response is to respond with humility and gratitude because the truth has changed him, it has humbled him. The Holy Spirit is wielding the sort of truth, the Word of God, to change us. But he's doing that, thirdly, for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world, what do you do when the Spirit guides you to the truth of Jesus and you are changed by the glory that you have bumped up against the weightiness of Jesus, the, the immovable weightiness of Jesus that changes us as a result? Well, listen to verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, The Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see, do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, I received the truth from the Father, and I passed it on to the Spirit. And the Spirit received the truth from me and passes it on to you. So what do you think is the next step in that progression when you receive the truth from the Spirit? Jesus is saying, the principle here is that uh, we experience glory by giving away what we have received. <clears throat> truth is only powerful as it is shared with others and as it is lived out. The truth is not powerful when we use it as a weapon to judge or hurt or whack other people with. And friends, I have to wonder if one of the reasons that Christianity seems to lack power or glory in our time is that we think of the truth as something that we have attained. Like this height that we have climbed to and earned on our own and that we therefore hold on to instead of seeing the truth as something that we are the recipients of. There's an enormous difference between knowing what is true because it has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit and knowing the truth because we've figured it out all on our own. Perhaps our anxious world could do with fewer opinions about science or about economics. Perhaps our anxious world could do with less divisiveness that accompanies our certainty Perhaps our anxious world could instead 
use followers of Christ who move out into the world as people who have been deeply changed because we are the recipients of the truth, not the attainers of it. And so, friends, I just want to ask you if you would maybe begin to imagine with me what God might do if we were to call out to him and ask that he would, use, he would be at work in our lives, wielding the sword of truth to change us for the good of Orange County. Friends, I, I am growing discontent, not with this crisis and stay-at-home stuff stretching on indefinitely. I'm growing discontent with my own failure to follow God in the way that he has called me to do. And I wonder if as a church it's maybe time that we begin to pray that God would actually use this crisis as we're all saying, you know, everybody wants to say change comes as a result of crisis, but how might God actually use this crisis in our lives to change us as a church for the eventual good of Orange County? What if we as a church begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us in all truth, bringing us into a life-changing encounter with Jesus for the good of our neighbors. In his life, friends, Jesus lived for you. In his death, Jesus died for you, paying the penalty for your sin. In his resurrection, Jesus was raised to new life for you, showing you that new life awaits you. And in his ascension, Jesus ascends, returns to the Father, sending his Holy Spirit to live in you, which means that Christ is now alive within you if you are in him. And here's what that means. You, if you are in Christ, you have the truth, not because you hold the correct opinions about everything, but because the one who is the very embodiment of truth lives in you. So here we stand, friends, sort of the Bible in one hand and a newspaper or social media or cable news or whatever in the other hand. And we are looking out at a world where everybody seems to be absolutely certain about what should be done. And I want to invite you to perhaps have the courage to say, I don't know. I don't know what should be done about the world that we are living in. I want to invite you into a posture of humility. And from that posture of humility, would you begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would guide you, that the Holy Spirit would guide me in all the truth, that he would change me, that he would change you, and that because he has changed us together corporately, he might change this place that we live. Would you pray that with me? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for sending your Spirit. We thank you for his life, not just near us, not just as an example to us, but his life, his ministry in us and through us. Father, would you use this strange time that we're living through to show us how little idea we truly have of what's going on 
in our world and our inability to control the circumstances around us. God, all of us um, are grieving. All of us is mourning a loss of one sort or another, great or small. None of us knows what the next week's hold. But Jesus, we know that you are on the throne and you have sent your spirit to guide us into all truth. Would you help us to depend on your spirit that we might be your presence in this broken world. We pray this to you, Father, in the name of Jesus the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm.